Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our Sunday School Hour. Uh, this is our lesson that's going to be presented on February the 18th of 2024. As we move along in the life of uh, Abram, uh, the title is Sin Always Spreads and Makes Things Worse. Now, if we could really get that in our minds, in our hearts, our spirit, and really believe it, that would really stop a lot of our sin problems and a lot of our backslidings. But we, like so many other people, and even like Abram, we kind of have the idea that uh, I'm trapped and I, whatever I have to do, I have no choice but to sin. And think about what the Apostle Paul told us, that we will never be tempted above what we're able, but with it, God will provide a way of what? Escape, that you may be able to bear it or endure it. In other words, there's a pathway out. And a lot of times we panic. A lot of times we just get in a hurry. Or we think we have to handle things in our own way. Or, well, frankly, sometimes we not only like the sin, but we don't like the way God has made for us to get out of it. And that's a deadly combination, isn't it? If you're enjoying what you're doing and you don't like the way God has prepared for you to get out, what are you likely to do? Probably stay in it a little bit longer, indulge a little bit more, and uh, dig the hole a little bit deeper. And as they say that uh, whenever you find yourself in a hole, rule number one is stop digging. And we don't do that very often. And we're in good company because neither did Abram. Now when I say that, that doesn't mean because Abram did it, we can do it. And uh, if he were, uh, was not uh, walking with God, we don't have to walk with God. These are, as the New Testament says, examples to us so that we don't fall into the same sin that they do. So Abram, looking at the introduction here, is in another crisis of faith. And that really boils down to this. Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe your flesh? You're going to believe the world? Are you going to believe the tempter? Or are you going to believe God? And uh, by the way, when the, uh, in Ephesians 6, when it talks about the shield of faith that quenches the fiery darts of the wicked one, the way the fiery darts are quenched is because we choose not to believe the temptation of the enemy, but we believe what God says, no matter how we feel and no matter what the world thinks. Well, uh, that's where Abram is now. Is the shield of faith, is the choice that he makes going to quench the fiery darts? Or are they going to hit their target? So as time goes by, Abram and Sarah are aging. You, you can't stop that. And time has run out, humanly speaking, for Sarah. She's no longer fertile. And perhaps even for Abram. I mean, after all, he's an old man. How much longer is he going to live? I mean, he may have a heart attack during the night, die in his sleep. And uh, then, of course, the promise of an heir and all of that goes away. So in their minds, they're thinking something must be done. And if God's not going to do it, then we'll take matters into our own hand. Now, Abram has done this before. Back in the famine in chapter 12, 
Abram is in the place where God told him to go. And when the famine comes, Abram goes, Ha, I got to get out of here. I can't sustain anything here. I can't depend upon God to keep me alive. So I'm going to go to Egypt. And you remember when he went to Egypt, he put himself in a, a precarious situation because Sarah was so beautiful. He said, Oh no, the men of Egypt are going to want her and they'll kill me to get her. In other words, he uh, being afraid that he would die of famine in the promised land, going to Egypt didn't help that situation. In fact, it was kind of exacerbated. I would say the chances of death went up when he went into Egypt and of course the lies that were told and all of that. Now, Abram throughout all of this has been a man of faith. He believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean he was perfect. That doesn't mean he always believed and always had the strength of faith that he should have. Like us, there were times when he would be up, other times he would be down. But the general, uh, the word I'm looking for here, trajectory of his life was toward faith. And God knows we'll never be perfect. In fact, the psalm says he remembers that we are dust, right? He knows and he understands our weaknesses, our frailties. He understands all of that much better than we do. And Jesus Christ is a sympathetic high priest able to come to the aid of those who are tempted, the book of Hebrews says. So here we are, like Abram, there are times when we're up, there's times when we sink a little bit, times when we do very well, maybe for a long period of time, but uh, other times when not so well. And remember, God is not interested in perfection because you can't do that. Only Christ could do that. That's why our faith is in Him. But it's the direction of our life that matters. Now, Abraham is still going in the right direction, but he has a few uh, detours every once in a while, right? And so he and Sarai are, uh, have a plan that doesn't seem to help when we look at the whole story. It disrupts the family unit. It sows seeds of trouble. And it causes much more trouble than they ever imagined. You know, uh, we've said the old saying, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, cost you more than you ever intended to pay. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, after you have gone into sin and you thought it was going to relieve you and you found out it didn't, when you uh, get through it and you reap the consequences of it, you look back and go, boy, I, if I'd known then what I know now, I never would have done that. I think Abram would have said amen, amen, amen to that. Because in Genesis 16, verses 1 through 6, we read about a little scheme that they hatched. And in this case, it was actually... Sarai that did it, and it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Verse 2. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. This is God's fault, right? Please go into my maid, and perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Nice, neat, easy, seems like the solution to the problem, right? What could possibly go wrong 
with a situation like that. And Abram agreed. So it says, And Abram uh, heeded the voice of Sarai. Does that ring a bell? Kind of a faint bell in the back of your memory? That's what Adam did with Eve, wasn't it? He heeded the voice of Eve. And Abram is heeding the voice of Sarai. Now, there are times when we should listen to our wives and we don't to our own peril. Think about Pilate's wife. I bet Pilate in hell today wishes he had listened to his wife. But there are other times when we are supposed to lead and lead by not our own intuition or our own desires or our own pleasure, but heed the voice of God and the ways of God. Let's read uh, going down to verse 3. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid. Hagar had no choice in this. The Egyptian. They keep bringing that up. Now, uh, I don't want to mess up the flow of the scripture, but do you suppose Hagar <clears throat> was one of the servants that Pharaoh gave Abram when they went into Egypt? Could be. And gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Okay, underscore that. This was not just a fling or a one-night stand. He actually took her as his wife. And um, after Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So 10 years, no children. Where's the promise? How are we going to fix this? This is their solution. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived... Her mistress, that would be Sarai, became despised in her eyes. She went down a few notches. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and then she saw that she and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. In other words, this is Sarai saying, I didn't see this coming and I don't like this. And I feel like I've been demeaned, demoted. I feel like I have been overlooked. I feel like I have been set aside. And, um, and I'm sure that once uh, Hagar became pregnant, Abram probably treated her a little differently as well. She's bearing his child. Verse 6, So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. Kind of like Pilate washing his hands at Jesus' trial, isn't it? And when uh, Sarah, Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar, she fled from her presence. She ran away. So when we look at this story, what is it that we can learn? What is it that we can take away from it that could uh, help us? with these kind of situations because we may not run into the same situation and it may not be as bad as this situation but nonetheless we run into it now the first thing we need to understand here is respect for the promise and by that i mean the promise of blessing that god had given abram respect for that is compromised what do i mean by that well they got to the point to where they go, well, apparently God's not going to do anything. And if God's not going to do anything, I guess we better do something for ourselves. That's always a problem, isn't it? 
and we try to take matters into our own hands. We try to do something to help God out. We don't want God to look bad. And uh, if he can't do it, we'll just take it from there and we'll get it done. Well, uh, from a human standpoint, that seemed to work. Here, I can't bear children, Abram, so you take this Egyptian maid that I have and she's young and uh, you can have sexual relations with her and perhaps she will conceive and this will be the way that God gives you the heir that he promised you. Remember in one of our uh, lessons here in February, God made it real clear the heir will not be Eleazar, your servant. It'll be someone that comes from your own body, someone with your DNA. Oh, okay, been a long time, so let's make this happen. We'll help God out. Surely God will be pleased with that. Well, you remember the Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin, and whatever is not, of, and without faith it is impossible to please God. So this wasn't pleasing to God. This is a mess. This Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, is going to be given to Abram, and he takes her as his wife. Now, there's another issue on that. When God created man and woman, how many men did he create? One named Adam. How many women did he create? One named Eve. And he said the two, the two, not the three, not the four, not the five, not the 15, the two shall become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. But we find that in the patriarchs, they many times did what we do. They followed the fashion and the custom of the day. And one of those was that if wife number one can't bring you an heir, it sounds like Henry VIII kind of, then you need to go to wife number two and so forth and so on until you get the heir. So they weren't doing anything that anybody would frown at back in that day. In other words, the other people, their neighbors all around them, the Canaanites and others, would not even raise an eyebrow over this. This is just what you do. That's not what God said to do, and it's not the way God designed it, but it seemed to be the will of God to them. And as we all know, it must be right, and it must be the will of God if it seems right to us. Of course, the Bible does say there is a way that seems right, but the end thereof are the ways of destruction. This is going to be more far-reaching than they ever could begin to imagine on all of this. So God made it clear that the blessing would be an actual child of Abram's. So they twist the word of God to say, well, this will still be an actual child of yours, just like God said. You ever known anybody that plays fast and loose with the word of God? to twist it around to make it say what they want to say and to fit what they want to do. And you'll notice here that Sarai blamed God for her childlessness. And so she initiated a sinful activity. So a question would be, does God make promises that he won't fulfill? Does God make promises that he can't fulfill? And that's the way these two people are asking are acting, especially Sarai here, that, uh, you know, perhaps this will be the way. Did you notice that word perhaps in there? It shows the inadequacy of their scheme. They don't know if it's going to work or not, but it's worth a try. Whereas when God says something, it always happens the way that he said. 
So she encourages sin in order to fulfill God's promise. Anybody but me see anything wrong with that? And so the bottom line is they did not think God would do as he promised. Now that is something that we've got to remember. God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou, wilt, thou always wilt be. I think I got that just a little wrong. Great is thy faithfulness, right, is the chorus of that song. And we forget that sometimes, and that's where they're having a crisis of faith. They just thought they needed to do something, and they weren't sure God was going to get it done. Wait on the Lord, that's what the scripture says. Now, number two, not only is respect for the promise diminished, but respect for authority is compromised. If you look at the second part of verse 2 and verse 3, and Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Well, was Sarai supposed to be the leader? Did God speak to Sarai and give her the promised blessing, or did he give it to Abram? And Abram, instead of standing up and being the man he should have been, he did like Adam, and he heeded the voice of his wife. Even in Adam's case, who was it that God told not to eat of that particular tree. Well, it wasn't Eve. He told Adam. And Adam wasn't man enough to stand up. And so Eve takes the fruit, eats it, and then gives it to Adam. And for a long time, I missed this. I assumed Adam was off somewhere else. And then Eve baked him a pie of that fruit, and he ate it, and then trouble came. No, the Bible says in Genesis 3, Eve gave to Adam with her, and he took it and he ate. This is kind of the same situation. The authority of Abram, the leadership of Abram, the word of God given to Abram was kind of set aside. And Sarai takes the leadership role. And so uh, they get this Egyptian maid, and she gives, uh, can you imagine, especially you ladies, can you imagine the heartbreak? Can you imagine what it must have been like to give someone to your husband that's much younger, someone that is prettier, someone that is fertile in this case, and uh, to conceive a child. Now, maybe at first it didn't seem like that big a deal. Maybe Sarai was secure enough in her relationship with Abram. But can you imagine what it was like that first time when Hagar says, I'm pregnant? Can you imagine how that just was like a knife being driven into uh, Sarai's chest? Can you imagine as uh, every time Hagar threw up with morning sickness or something like that, Sarai thinking, I wish that had been me. Why couldn't I have a child? And resentment began to build up into her life. Can you imagine as uh, the child within Hagar began to grow and the pregnancy began to show what it did to Sarai? Well, it doesn't take much to figure out here that there's going to be a little bit of competition and contention between the two women. Can you imagine Hagar, who has been the slave of Sarai? Now she is the wife of Abram, and she might just kind of let it slip every once in a while. I was able to do for him what you could not do. And those type of things would come up little gossip around all the other servants and the people that were in their household. 
about what Hagar is saying about Sarai. And Sarai would hear about it and it would just kill her in her soul because she did love Abram. That is evident. And so Abram here became a follower rather than a leader in the family. And at this point, he certainly was not a follower of God because no matter who it is that is over us, the Bible says we ought to obey God rather than men. You say, well, Romans 13 says we're to obey the law of the land. Yes, until it contradicts the higher authority, the law of God. And so Abram here was under no obligation to do what Sarai said. He was under obligation to follow God. And so here again, it reminds us of Adam and Eve. Because, I mean, you can't expect people to be faithful after 10 years in Canaan when there's no child. Or can you? And so we, instead of waiting on God, we get in a hurry and we try to do things our own way. So Sarah influenced Abraham toward a sinful situation, but Abram was responsible for his decision. He did not have to go along with this plan. He was not trapped until he stepped into the trap. So the bottom line here is that Abram chose to sin with Hagar instead of trusting God. Now you notice in this text here, in the story that we read, Hagar doesn't seem to be implicated because as I said earlier, she didn't really have a choice in this matter. This was something where this was her assignment that Sarai gave her and so uh, she did what she was told to do. So the responsibility is with Sarai and uh, Abram. Number three, respect for Sarai's position is compromised. No longer is she the queen of the household. No longer is she the, the one who is Abram's sole wife and no longer is she in that exalted position. And so uh, uh, he went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived, look at this, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Now despised, when we read about it in the Bible, it doesn't always mean something like, I, I just despise broccoli or I despise liver. We've made more out of it than it used to mean. In uh, Old English and in the uh, original languages of the Bible, despise means to kind of take lightly, to overlook. You're no big deal. I've replaced you. I'm, I'm a bigger deal to Abram than you are, Sarai. And she was just kind of uh, put down, overlooked, disrespected, I guess we would say. And so uh, it's interesting that Hagar conceived so easily, unlike Sarah. And in a culture that valued fertility, Sarai became, you know, overlooked. You're being punished or you're not quite the woman you ought to be. And Hagar was apparently rubbing Sarah's nose in it. So the bottom line here in point number three is sin never exalts you. It robs, it humiliates, and it disappoints. Think of John 10.10. 10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus gives us abundant life. The thief never does. And I think about 
Those times when I've seen criminals so proud and so arrogant till they get caught, until they do the perp walk, as we call it. Then they want their face covered up or they have their heads ducked low. They don't want the cameras in their face. They don't want people looking at them. And I think that's an apt picture of sin. We're so proud, so arrogant. We're so strong in ourselves. We can handle it. It'll be okay. It'll work out. No one will ever know. And then we're humiliated. We're embarrassed to see other people. We're embarrassed that people might talk about us. We don't want anyone to know about any of it. That's just the way it goes. And we need to remember that. Number four, respect for life is compromised. Now, this story takes an interesting twist here. And Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. Really? Can you do that? I mean, I would be more than happy to put all of my sin on somebody else. Well, I can, actually, because I can put my sin on Christ because he can bear it. But Abram can't. And Sarah is wanting to shift the blame. This isn't really my fault. You didn't have to go along with this. You should have stopped me. You should have said something, right? My sin be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. That smacks of a little jealousy there, doesn't it? And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Now, what did he just do? He just demoted. He didn't say, My wife. He said, Your maid. Poor Hagar. She's been taken up. Now she's taken down. She's still pregnant with his child, but uh, Abram just says, Hey, she's in your hand. She's your maid. Do with her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now, the family order is disturbed. The relationships are all messed up here. And Sarai seems to blame Abram for the situation. And she didn't expect to be despised. You can just imagine that Sarai thought she was going to be a hero. Sarai thought, if I give him my maid and he has a child, then God can bless that child. And who will I be? I will be the loving wife who sacrificed my marriage for somebody else. And uh, somebody else bore the child. And God is now pleased and everything is Hunky-dory, that's a Hebrew word for everything's cool. But that didn't happen. And so you find that Sarai feels like she's being overlooked, she is being despised, she's being put down, she is not being respected as she should be in this. And so Abram just says, ah, take her back and do with her what you want to do. And he kind of apathetically washes his hands of the situation. She is bearing, Hagar is bearing his child, and he says, yeah, do whatever you want to with her. I think Abram was a little bit afraid of Sarai. And we find here that as a result, Sarai was cruel to Hagar, and Hagar fled. Now we have to think about what this means. A pregnant woman running into the wilderness. Now wilderness in the Bible is not uh, Daniel Boone wilderness with trees and forests and creeks and rivers and all of that. Bible wilderness is desert. There's nothing to drink. There's nothing to eat. 
the heat is unbearable. There's very little shelter from it. And so Sarah was cruel and Hagar fled. Now, what's going to happen? This is, look at that last bullet point, to the peril of Hagar's own life. Sorry, wasn't the last, it was the last on that page on my Kindle. Uh, so think about it. This is to the peril of Abram's baby's life. They had this baby and they had Abram conceive a child with Hagar for the blessing. Now it's a castaway. It's a throwaway. Kind of like we think about abortion babies being disposable babies. That's a horrible thing. Well, that's what this is here. Hagar is probably going to die in the desert and with her the baby is going to die as well. So you see how everything has come around to got to have a child, got to have a child, got to do anything to get a child. And then it turns around to the end of who cares about the child? I, mean, I know it doesn't say that, but that's what we really are finding here. So the bottom line in point number four is whatever is not of faith is sin. And this was a sinful, horrible situation. So let's read our conclusion. In the arrangement of the narratives in Genesis, this chapter is parallel to Genesis chapter 12, the famine passage. And in that passage, the Lord called Abram to go to the land of promise, but the land had a severe famine. And you can recall that this motif is a part of the curse and not of the blessing. And now with the specific promise of an heir of his own, Abram had a barren wife. Again, incompatible with the blessing. And just as the famine produced a test for Abram's faith in the promise, so did this barrenness of his wife. But uh, it set in motion the uh, dubious activities of Abram and Sarai. Did you get that? Dubious activities of Abram and Sarai. And it's interesting to observe that Abram's failure in Genesis 12 may have contributed to this failure in Genesis 16 because he may have acquired Hagar in Egypt. And that's from a commentary by Alan P. Ross, a professor at Southeastern Southern Baptist Seminary. Now, when you think about that and you think about everything that's going on, isn't it amazing that God sets this man up as a hero? A hero in the New Testament, a hero in the Old Testament, a hero to the nation of Israel today, a hero to the Jews. We look at all of this and go, oh, what a man of faith. But like us, this man of faith had feet of clay, didn't he? He didn't always live up to everything. And he didn't always do everything right. You see, the key here is not the faithfulness of Abram. That's important. But the greater key that we always find is the faithfulness of God. God promised and God is going to literally deliver on his promise. Notice what I did there. Because Sarah is going to have a baby. And it's going to be a baby of impossibilities but God is able to do the impossible. Just like Mary said, how can these things be seeing that I know not a man? And the angel Gabriel said to her, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. 
And if we could ever get that in our mind and in our spirit, to always trust God, to follow Him, not to grow impatient, not to take matters into our own hands, think how much different, think how much better our life would be. Abram is going to have a child. Not this child. Well, this child will be born, but this child won't be the child of promise. Another one will be because God is going to show Himself to be true and to be faithful. So remember, the point in all of this is man is unfaithful, just like we are, but God never fails. Isn't that good news? And He overrides our stupidity. He overrides our lack of faith. God never fails. Let that sink into your heart and may it bless you today and thank you for your time. Thank you for your teaching and thank you for those of you who are watching to keep up with your class. I really appreciate that. God bless you and thank you once again.